Well, hello there. Yes, again, you're listening to that show where you hear some recollections and record collections brought in by a guest every week. We always have some unique characters on the show, and we've got a very unique show coming at you today. A little bit of French flavours going on there. And I'd like to thank Ed for another great morning. Lots of good tracks. An interesting interview in the mix there, I hear. And uh, and there's also an overdue thanks that I need to issue to a certain Sasha Rosen, super producer, who has been working on this show out of the box for two years. He's wound down slowly and left me with some great new producers, Rachel Sibley being one of them, Ali being another who's like looking through me at the glass from just over there. Hello, darling. Nice to have you on the show. Anyway, so he's been producing for, yeah, two years and he's done it every Thursday and has put so much enthusiasm and great stuff into the show. And uh, if you want to see any of the other work that he does, you can find Zasha Rosen on Tumblr and you can find him on Twitter as well. He does a bunch of other things and he's recently recently been working on a podcast as well that's really worth checking out. It's called Not What You Think. And uh, my guest today on Out of the Box is Emmanuel Denevi Feller who grew up in a tiny French town of only 600 people and then moved to the Big Smoke, the Big Smoke being Paris. And first and foremost, Emmanuel is a French cultural attaché, so that involves kind of spruiking French creativity to Australian people. And as part of that spruiking, Emmanuel is the artistic director of the Alliance French Film Festival. Alliance? Alliance? Which, how should I say this? Alliance Française. But you're very good with French, actually. Ah, well, zootalors. And I did very well with my name. <laughs> Yeah. Congrats, it's not an easy one. We're so cultured here. Um, so welcome on Out of the Box Manual. It's good to have you here. Bonjour, Ash. And so usually you go between FBI and uh, and some ABC Classic, I hear. Absolutely, in yeah. the morning. So I try to switch the radio. So sometimes a- FBI, sometimes ABC, depending on my mood of the day. <laughs> if you're feeling posh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're feeling particularly cool. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Cool would be FBI. Maybe uh, when I feel uh, nostalgia, I would go to uh, ABC. It depends. <laughs> so um, you're the French cultural attaché. That's not a term you hear every day. Is what what is involved in being a French cultural attaché? I am a French cultural attaché at the embassy. So basically, uh, I am representative for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It's a very different role because uh, you, my main role is really to um, to make. Australian and French artists and institutions work together, create together. So um, I like um, to be like a spokesperson, but a go-between. I'm a, I'm a go-between between our two countries and our artists. Uh, it's a very important role for me and uh, very exciting too because there are many things to, to do. And I'm very lucky because uh, Australia loves France and uh, loves our artists. And I'm very lucky because uh, France loves Australia. So I think it's, a, it's a, not pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> not that I have been uh, not doing anything, but it's uh, pretty exciting and pretty, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. very happy. That's good to hear. It's much better than it being, you know, trying to make friends out of enemies. I mean, no one hates friends. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, we've got a first track for today by Moriarty, who <laughs> is not pronounced Moriarty if you're French. How would you uh, say it? 
Moriarty, oui. <laughs> Alright, so some Moriarty. Which track do we have by Moriarty? Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, okay. And why would you like to bring this track on today? Uh, because I think it's very good to uh, open a show, to open a, a show like that about music. It's like very smoothly and it's also like like a window open on on big countryside. And uh, yeah, on you can see um, the nature about it. You can feel the harmonica and all that uh, kind of music. It makes you very smooth and very uh, open to uh, open to nature. Beautiful. On FBI 94.5, my guest today is Emmanuel Denevi-Feller. Proud of your name. 
buffaloes used to say be what you are the buffaloes used to on the FM band and that was a track by Moriarty called Jimmy brought in by my guest today Emmanuel Denevifele thank you for bringing that one on and uh, so that's from not only your childhood that's not an expansive spaces sound alone it's also from the soundtrack of one of the films for the Alliance Francaise film festival yes it's actually one of the soundtrack from uh, one of the sound of the soundtrack from the opening film of the festival Gemma Bovary and why did you pick that as the opening film, could I ask? Because it's a very French film. It's about, um, it's an allusion to uh, Emma Bovary, one of the most famous uh, French novels. And it's a very um, good comedy with a great actor, Fabrice Lucini, who is very dear to, to me and a very good, uh, very good one. He loves words and uh, he loves uh, also the comedy. And this film is uh, about, of course, uh, a love, love affair or some, something about love and, uh, and uh, Normandy, a very uh, nice uh, region in France. And it's very good to start the festival with because it's uh, not only funny, it's also smart and it makes you, yeah, it makes you uh, open your mind. And I'm... I really like to uh, open my mind and to uh, to discover new things. Yeah. Moriarty, I think, is a very uh, is goes very well with that. And uh, when you look at it, when you hear that song, you can think of western, of many things like that, many different things. Yeah. And um, what do you kind of look for in an opening night film, though? Because I mean, you've looked at hundreds of films over the year, o- at least over a hundred yeah. films yes. throughout the course of the year yeah. to pick for the film. How do you know it's going to be a good open night, opening night film? Oh, you never know. You never know <laughs> because you never know because the audience is sometimes very different within the room. You never know. You never know. But you are here to, to share something. You are here to, uh, to make people happy, to make people, uh, you know, it's about cinema. I mean, people don't, don't have to go to the cinema and you want to, uh, to bring them to the cinema. And so um, it's always, um, yeah, it's always like uh, you need to, to find something that will uh, that you really want to share with the audience and to party because I mean the, the opening <laughs> is definitely something to party about of course and so you grew up in Rouvre 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 yes Rouvre, Rouvre is like Rouvre <laughs> <laughs> I love when English people say Rouvre because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you grew up in Rouvre yeah Rouvre yeah. which is actually <laughs> very old name to say Oak so it's a very very little village uh, west of Paris yeah uh, 600 inhabitants yeah, maybe and more cows actually. <laughs> but to put that in to put that in context, I mean, if you think about you know having six hundred Facebook friends, I mean, you would be friends with everyone in your town. There must have been a very like small group of that's very of true people who are friends. That is very true. Yeah. Though I have to say, Facebook didn't exist when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you mean? It doesn't make any sense. It's very new. It's very new. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so 
you know, 600 people and you had two sisters older than you. So what was kind of young life like? What were your pastimes living in this little town? A little idyllic French town, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like um, we had a, we were lucky enough to have a big garden. So we were, uh, of course, playing in the dark garden, camping with a... Uh, in the summer, we had the tents in the garden to spend the night out, which was quite uh, f- quite freaky and quite also maybe uh, worried. Of, and, you know, you were thinking about all things that could happen to you. Yeah, all of the uh, dangerous spiders and snakes and crocodiles yeah, in instance, the French landscape. Or your weird, your weird <laughs> neighbours that will show up at night or something like that. So we had many, uh, many of that, also many uh, fishing uh, parties in the river, I remember, yeah. with my neighbours. That was very, very, very fun too. And when, when you become a teenager, I have to say that uh, countryside, is like a pretty uh, boring place to live so I was uh, very looking forward to uh, to move to, to the big city which was very also um, a big thing to uh, to help you to motivate uh, people to get their, their, their high school uh, diploma and uh, I was really f- looking forward to that and uh, yeah to feel uh, to get freedom and to uh, to get things t- to get uh, to get out and to uh, I was very attracted by the by the city and by Paris yeah and I'm sure that when you were when you were young, like seven, eight, you weren't thinking, I can't wait to grow up so I can be a French cultural attaché because no, that's, that's not the kind of well, thing you think of. <laughs> when I was seven, actually, I wanted to be uh, American. I wanted to be... Uh, <laughs> when I grow I up, was, I want to be American? I was in love with America. I, was, uh, I wanted to be American to get uh, American nationality. <laughs> And I was, uh, yeah, I was in love with the Statue of Liberty. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you had like a little toy Statue of Liberty. Uh, I didn't, but I had a T-shirt with the Statue of Liberty. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so was that through French-American uh, film, I should say, that you got obsessed with Americanism? It's hard to say. I don't know. I don't know. I think that New York was for me the, the place to be and that I really wanted to, be, to go there. And uh, actually, I went to New York, but I was uh, much older in my 20s and uh, it was very emotional to to see the uh, Statue of Liberty which is a French one it was given by friends to uh, to uh, the United States to see it uh, real it was uh, very emotional for me magic and so you also wanted to be an acrobat when you were younger yeah it's true because How I really did that turn out? <laughs> <laughs> I loved circus I loved circus because uh, it's also freedom freedom of movements and uh, and it's uh, creativity too and it's uh, I love the uh, you know when you're in a circus it's like a big family and um, and it's like uh, yeah and I wanted to be an acrobat it was a very short career actually <laughs> How sh- did it end it, it ended on a chair. It was uh, one night I uh, I did some uh, something on my chair, but the chair fell, and I I um, went to the hospital quite straight away, and spent maybe more than ten days at the hospital. So I said, all right, I can't be an acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do something else. So uh, I'll work for acrobats and to uh, to help them to promote their work. That's fantastic. All right, we're gonna track now from. Wait for it. Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. I'm pretty sure that this hasn't ever happened on FBI. I could be wrong. Maybe very good. Maybe in a remix. I might be too every time the FBI then. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I'm all about it. Um, oh, Diana Summer. It wasn't even Donna Summer. I totally had it wrong. Okay, so it's called No More Tears. Yes. Why this song? What What does this song mean to you? Um, it's a good transition with Moriarty, I'd say. <laughs> uh, this song is a when you hear when you hear that song, you can't, uh, you must dance. I mean, it's something you can't prevent yourself from dancing. And when I was a, a child, we had this song with my older sister, Clémence, and uh, we were dancing in our room and we were like jumping everywhere. And it's it's really, really uh, for me, um, uh, not only a very good song, but uh, also lots of souvenirs. 
and FBI 94.5. This is actually happening. Barbara Streisand and Diana Summer. Enjoy mm. and dance. <laughs> Shall do. Love
their music. Out of the box. Yeah, 94.5. Some Daft Punk on your radio. A band that, or a group, I guess, that I never realised were actually French until recently. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit behind the times here on this one, though. <laughs> so this one's brought on by my guest today, Emmanuel Denevifella, who is the cultural attaché, or the French cultural attaché, to Australia. Works with the embassy. And she is the artistic director of the Alliance Francaise French Film Festival. So, what's that song about for you? What's that song remind you of? 
it's still dancing, yeah. dancing and parting. I mean, the transition with uh, uh, Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand was quite very good <laughs> because, like, <laughs> you can't stop dancing. Exactly. They were very separated from time to time. And that thing for me, it's like, it's Paris. It's uh, parties in Paris, nightclubs, cafes, bars, and all the nightlife that you can uh, live in when you when you mm. are in Paris. And it's so exciting and it makes you, like, very vivid and uh, it's very vivid and alive and this kind of music it's just like transform you into something get lucky and <laughs> enjoy life enjoy yeah so did i wonder did disco ever die in france or is it kind of died everywhere else for a couple of decades i guess and then it came back but did it ever die in france or was it always a kind of staple type of music no it never died it never died because i think that um it's uh, always on your back and you're made of, uh, of course, a lot of souvenirs. So it never died. And I think that uh, uh, French, uh, you know, the French touch was very good for that to uh, put it back on the scene. And, uh, and, to, and of course, because Paris is a great city for parties, it was still alive through that, definitely. I don't think I was ever cool enough to find cool parties when I was in Paris. I just could never find cool parties. Cool was, parties? Yeah, yeah. when I was there, I just never never found the cool parties. Where do you find these cool <laughs> parties? Do you have to be French to find them? Uh, you have to be not a... No, you don't have to be French, of course. <laughs> but it's, it's like when you go to a, to a new city, you need to find the, you know, the little niche and to know where, where, where to go. For instance, the equivalent to FBI <laughs> to, <laughs> to find the, the, good, the good parties and the cool parties. All right, and so you did grow up... Or not, you grew up out of Paris, but then you were in Paris at the time of your student life. I mean... I find that really interesting to think about because if you're a student in Sydney, you're subsisting off meagering and other very unimpressive things like wheat bix. Um, but what does a student eat in Paris, in the in the capital of like not the capital of the food world, but I mean pretty much close. I mean, are you having croissants all the time? Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Only Mondays, Wednesday, and Fridays. <laughs> no, more than that, of course. And uh, I was a student in Paris. And uh, not only I was a student, but I was a student living uh, on my own or with a roommate. So um, uh, Paris is a place where you can find cinemas every corner, libraries, museum, and uh, many, many things to do. When you're a student, you don't have much money, so you have to, to find the, the cheap plans, the cheap tickets, and you can always find some in uh, in Paris. You can always find some, so that's good. And uh, for me, it was very... Um, when I was a student, I was uh, studying uh, literature, history, so it was something I was really learning and learning still and uh, opening my mind. And it was also make all these things accessible and go to the cinema and you know see old movies that you that you wouldn't be able to see uh, anywhere else and go to the theater and uh, learn from I really I think that's my really I was very deep and very went in deeply into culture at that time yeah and you were studying at the Sorbonne and that's in a lot of amazing films that it's a very very yeah. frequently appears in film so you're living in Paris you're going to the Sorbonne you can see the Eiffel Tower out your window and does it feel like you're living in a film or being French are you kind of immune to that well, you, you you talk like a director because when you're at the Sorbonne, actually, you can't see the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in the school before being to the Sorbonne where I could see the Eiffel Tower every day from the window. And I was thinking of all the people who are just 
dreaming of seeing the uh, Eiffel Tower from from its window. And uh, I really like that. I don't know why, but the idea of uh, seeing the Eiffel Tower every day was uh, pretty good. Yes, Paris is a city for cinema and Sorbonne is a, there were many films uh, made them and it was also a place for striking, you know, um, and a place for uh, students to uh, to uh, demonstrate and to uh, to gain more freedom also. Mm. And uh, yes, Sorbonne was very nice. Yeah. And uh, we've got a track to take by Barbara next. Well, like I say Barbara, but you say... It's another one. Yeah, you, you <laughs> it's a French, it very different. <laughs> <laughs> and it's from a time in your life of heartbreak. So much like most movies, you had your heart broken in Paris. Yeah, and I think <laughs> Paris is very good for heartbreak. Yes. Because um, I remember that I was uh, taking metros and metros when you have a heartbreak is very good because you can wander everything in the city and uh, also the little street and the little cafe. So I think that Paris, of course, is a very um, cinematographic city and also very um, into this kind of stories. And it's maybe the city has, Im- has an impact on it on its own inhabitants because the uh, atmosphere and the feeling is very uh, particular. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your particular heartbreak story? I think everyone gets a heartbroken in the same way and in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, very uh, common actually, but uh, for me it was, of course, very important in my life. And uh, also it makes me, uh, you know, when you get a heartbreak, I think that you, that you, uh, that you, once again, maybe become uh, more uh, open to discover new feelings and uh, heartbreak. On, on if you think of it, it's like also it makes you think about many things and and makes you think about life. So I think heartbreak are good <laughs> sometimes. So can you introduce this song, please? Yes, of course. This song is a uh, "Parce que je t'aime" by Barbara. It's a love song. It's uh, someone who says, "Because I love you, I will quit with you." Parce que je sais qu'il faut un presque rien pour défaire une nuit et se perdre au matin. Je ne laisserai pas pencher sur notre lit ni l'ombre d'un regret ni l'ombre de l'ennui. Je ne laisserai pas mourir au fil des jours ce qui fut toi et moi, ce qui fut notre amour. Il ne sera jamais emporté par le temps. Je l'emporte moi-même, il restera vivant. 
laisse-moi Oui, je t'aime Mais je préfère Mon Car il faut savoir Se quitter Avant que ne Leur amour comme on porte un enfant J'en ai vu comme nous qui allait à ballant Et tombait à genoux dans le soir finissant Je les ai retrouvés Furieux et combattants Comme deux loups blessés Que sont-ils maintenant Ça je ne veux pas There's a track there by Barbara, brought in by my guest today, Emmanuel Denevi-Feller. And during that mic break, we got a uh, a text on the text line saying, hey, could you stop with the cliche about Frenchies? Do you eat Vegemite every day? No, I don't. <laughs> um, Eiffel Tower, there's way more than just that because I love you, FBI. Well, I'm sorry, anonymous texter, for dousing your airwaves in cliches, but uh, cliches about France are really powerful and we know that because there's something called Paris syndrome and it's you've you've heard about this Emmanuel right could you explain a little bit about what Paris syndrome is the Paris syndrome is when you live about you dream about Paris you make your own image about Paris and when you discover Paris it's very different from that because Paris has also of course uh, Eiffel Tower but another side of it but it's also a cliche to to talk about uh, you know what's the dark side of it so I think that it's uh, a mix of things but Paris syndrome would be like, uh, yeah, like you discover the dark side of Paris because Paris is very eclectic movie, eclectic star city yeah. with many, many different people living in. Yeah, it's actually been um, written about in medical journals that the Paris syndrome has especially affects Japanese tourists yes. because in yeah. their media yeah. in, in in Japan, really all you see is the positive side of Japan, very much like replicated icons and stuff like that, and then they arrive. And they see whatever is the dark side or, you know, the the moderate normal side of Paris. And they actually have such a such a huge form of culture shock that they have like heart problems and they get hospitalized and it's happened. It happens I think on average to about twenty Japanese tourists a year. So it's been documented since the late eighties, which is just really interesting as to the power of cliches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that cliches are also something to be um, of course you uh, you want to go beyond cliches and uh, and uh, you want to see the real things the real things that cliches are, are a part of it. 
Yeah. And so as the artistic director of the Alliance French Film Festival, you would be very well versed in French cliché. Can you can you tell us a bit about what the what the French film cliché is to us? <laughs> Cigarettes, raincoats and Catherine Deneuve. <laughs> 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 that's a very, it's a very big cliche about uh, French cinema, <laughs> and uh, French cinema it's um, it's many many things, and you can't. I mean, it's uh, really hard to uh, maybe to define it because there are so many. You know, we produce more than two hundred and fifty films per year, so it's hard to find uh, three words to uh, to summarize French cinema. But uh, I think the idea of the festival is more than that. It's uh, really to uh, to to show to an Australian audience because uh, the idea is that. Uh, we are in Australia, so we don't make a French film festival for the French people here, and uh, for them also. But we, mm, the Australian audience, is uh, really uh, we show what is our creation today: diversity, uh, diversity of the French cinema, of course, comedies, dramas, and uh, yeah, what's French today? It's also a portrait of France, so not only cliches. Yes, but I think if you're watching, you know, over. Over 200 films. Is it two, over 200 films you have to watch a year? A little less than that. A little less? Yeah, yeah. So over 100 films yeah, a year yeah. that you have to watch yeah. in order to program the French Film Festival. If you're watching that many films, I'm sure you would come up with some sort of common threads. Are there any, I mean, common stories or, you know, one year you might get more stories about a certain issue because it's in vogue? Do you, do you yeah, pick yeah. up on those things? Yeah, we can see that uh, there is a trend depending on the um, news, of course, and mm-hmm. that some subject issues, for instance, are uh, are maybe more stronger, that we can see more movies about it uh, within the next two years, for instance. Uh, political questions, for instance, or um, uh, films about women. And um, yeah, yeah. So in the past year, what has been a, a more common thread than in past years before that? Um, yeah, I think that's very uh, um, about political and uh, that yeah. was quite yeah quite important the, the last years. And what's one of the more com- like more popular, I guess, for the the theatre goers? What's one of the more popular genres <laughs> in the French Film Festival? Romance. <laughs> <laughs> now that I don't is know a glaring I don't know cliche. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's kind of an interesting idea, though, because you know. I guess, you know, the French are thought of as being particularly romantic, but being a French person, knowing French people, would you say that there is more romance and passion in France? And uh, it's hard because because I'm French, maybe I can't, you know, I can't uh, judge it myself because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're, it's like in your in your genes, so it's hard to, hard to say, I'd say. But I think that's, yeah, maybe... You just think Australians are particularly unpassionate? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so at all. And I think they're very passionate about their own country, actually. Yeah. Yes. Delightful. So um, I guess one of the other things that I've noticed about your programming this year when I've went, gone through the programs, a lot of ladies' names under the director title. Is that something you did on purpose? Uh, no, and actually, um, two years ago in Cannes, it was uh, really um, it was something that was raised because there were not so many uh, women directors uh, that were um, in Cannes and whose films were presented. So, but... Yes, I think that uh, uh, women artists uh, are really, um, uh, you really need to uh, to push them and to show what they do. Yeah, actually, I think there was some, there's something I read recently that was saying that there are one female director in Hollywood to every 15 yes. male directors. Yeah. 
which is a huge, huge disparity. Do you think it's anything like that in France or not so much? Uh, I think it's uh, a little bit like that, yes. Things, yeah. Are, yeah, things are changing, but uh, I think it's a little bit like that, which which uh, shows that we uh, we need to, uh, to work more. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for a track. And uh, we've got something by Anthony and the Johnsons called Everything is New. Why this song? Um, I didn't know Anthony and the Johnson. I think I'm, I knew him seven years ago. Uh, some friends just sent me uh, an email saying, listen to that song. And when I discovered his, um, him, it was like very, um, it was very strong because I really love this music. I think it's something very, um, that you can't miss. And it would be very, yeah, I think your life would be uh, much more uh, worse without knowing him. Every, everything Everything is new
out of the box on FBI.
On FBI 94.5, my guest on Out of the Box is Emmanuelle Denevifele. She is the French cultural attaché, which is a whole time that you didn't know about, I'm sure, because <laughs> I certainly didn't. Um, are there Australian cultural attachés? Yes. Yes? yes okay, yes. so it's it's not just okay. a French thing. No, no, no. Ah, delightful. Well, you just heard a track, and, and who was that? Salif Keita uh, was from Mali, and the song was Fallen. You spent some time in Mali, didn't you? I spent some time in Burkina Faso, which is uh, next door, actually. Next from door, Mali. okay. And uh, it was my first big trip out of Europe. Uh, I was 20, and it was a very strong experience for me because um, it was I was actually going into the, the desert because the desert is growing in Africa. So I was there to, to, uh, to help to plant trees, and I spent several weeks uh, in a little village. And it was very strong because... It was um, discovering living with people whose lives are obviously very, very, very different from yours and how you can learn and how you can learn from other experiences. I think that uh, there are two things very important for me, arts and trips discovered. And uh, definitely Africa is uh, some place that if you want to, to discover things, it's a place to to go and to, to live. And it's... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it was a very, um, very important uh, trip for me. So there was a big cultural barrier between, you know, a big lifestyle barrier, I guess, between the people in Burkina Faso and yourself. But did you find that you got along quite well with them? Or? Yes, because of the language first, because uh, Burkina Faso was a, a former French colony. So definitely we have a common history. But though these stories sometimes, you know, tricky to deal with because uh, there is not only uh, uh, it, it was shared but it was also uh, difficult and uh, so we had we, we had this but I think that we share as human beings um, many things and uh, it's as always you know you can't uh, life is for me made of uh, discovery and made of others and that was a very good way to start we've got another track that we should probably put on in order to have enough time for all of the amazing <laughs> tunes. So, there's a artist called Sebastian Tellier. Sebast- I have never heard of him until today. Oh, really? Yeah, you introduced him to me. He's, he's quite lovely. All right, because he's a good friend of Future Classic, though. Here. Ah, yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah. And uh, Sebastian Tellier is, uh, is a French, uh, is a French uh, singer and composer. And for me, he's one of the biggest poets we have uh, in France now. This song is uh, really funny in a way because um, he's, uh, it's about Pepito. Pepito is a French uh, biscuit that we, we wear. You can eat like um, afternoon tea or something like that. And in this song, he's transforming Pepito into a god. So it's about, uh, <laughs> it's very mystic. And, um, a biscuit god? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the video is very funny too and uh, he's great. FBI 94.5, my guest today, Emmanuel Delevi-Delevi-Pelle. I got there eventually. And my name is Ash Berdebez, and I'm struggling with the French language. Always. No, you're fine. <laughs>
it's dark and epic and it's about biscuits and God. So can you tell us a bit more about what he's saying in that song? Like, what are the lyrics? It's quite sh- short. You just say it's, uh, let's go to God. It's very mystic, but it's a little, of course, it's funny and it's, very, you know, it's uh, quite uh, satiric. And uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's great because it's, uh, he's, um, as I said, he's a poet and he's imagining many, many things beyond imagination. And, um, and I, love, uh, I, love, I love also the, the music here. Wonderful. So in my in my research on you, I found that you were part of Magnum Photo, so I had to kind of try and translate the things that happened from, you know, various languages into English to understand what was your role there. But can you just tell in your own words? That would be much easier. I was uh, I was working for Paris photo for Magnum in uh, Paris. I was in charge of um, uh, working with the photographers to uh, to do to show their works through exhibitions. Uh, photographers uh, publish in the press, but uh, most of them they do translate their work on on walls. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to create, curate, and install shows uh, within museum festivals all over Europe. So for people who don't know anything about Magnum, can you kind of explain what Magnum is there for? It started in the just post Second World War. Yes, yeah, it was in '47, mm-hmm. and by four photographers who thought that. Uh, they wanted to have uh, freedom to for their work, so they decided to create a cooperative that where they would own, and they become owner of their own pictures, which was not the case before. So the, so the publishers owned the pictures. So yeah, if there was press, a newspaper, absolutely. So yeah. the press could do anything they wanted with your prints. So they decided, okay, they um, they wanted to be free, and they wanted to do a, they wanted to be also considered as photographers and maybe artists, and they started this uh, cooperative. And so one of those founders was Henri Cartier-Bresson. Henri Cartier-Bresson and Robert Capaille. Yeah. Henri Cartier-Bresson was a Frenchman. Yeah, and um, so he's known as the father of photojournalism, like still today. Um, actually, was um, he was the father of uh, of many things. He was um, maybe not too attached to the idea of photojournalism, but because he was uh, also uh, an artist. But uh, he was uh, really very influential for photographic. He was very. Um, he was very. Um, I, I was lucky enough to to meet with him and to spend some time with him. Though he was uh, quite old at the end of his life, but it was very challenging for the other photographers, always, you know, pushing them between uh, above boundaries. <laughs> I, I read that he sent a, quite a few abusive messages to everyone, like abusive yeah, but yeah, encouraging, yeah. Yes, just yes, being yes, like, yes. you guys are stuffing it yeah. up, you're, you're doing photojournalism <laughs> all wrong, this is you not what we're You are bourgeois and you need to go out and you know <laughs> that. It was very, yeah, it was very... Uh, huh. Yeah, insulting everyone into brilliance. Yes, because he was pushing <laughs> you, it was like yeah. a challenge. Yeah, and uh, it was very strong in Magnum. He was very, but was very his spirit um, uh, uh, among all of us. And um, I told you the story that um, when we when we met uh, once, there was an opening, and everybody came to touch him. Though he was not very famous because he want he was very famous. His work was very famous, but I was impressed because. Everybody wanted to touch him as as if he were like um, a miss, a living miss, and it was very um, impressive. I have to say, um, more because he, he didn't want to have him pictures or portrayed. It wasn't something very. It wasn't he selfish. Didn't want to be a celebrity yeah. at all. At all. Mm. So it was. Uh, it was very impressive. But he hasn't managed to stay away from being a celebrity all this time. I mean, he, he had a very interesting life 
before even Magnum was established. What happened to him just before? He was captured during the war, during the Second World War. He escaped, then uh, he was he traveled. I mean, he was uh, one of the first to have uh, pictures in, uh, in China or in India, for instance. So it's, uh, yeah, it was the, uh, we call him the eye of the 20th century. Yeah. So did you get interested in being part of Magnum because of film or how did that happen? Uh, actually, I was interested I was um, interested with history, definitely, and because of that, uh, you know, willing of um, their being uh, their own artist and uh, getting their own rights, I was very interested by that. And history and news, I really came into that, into photography. And uh, then photography also goes to cinema. Most, many photographers are also directors. And I wanted to, to talk about one Australian magnet photographer, Trent Park. With, Trent uh, Park, yeah. yeah, yeah. With, uh, we'll have a big show in Adelaide soon, opening soon. And with, um, he's, he's uh, really in Henri Cartier-Bresson's spirits. And I think he's uh, one of the biggest photographers today. Yeah, I've seen some of his work. He's quite yeah. brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And so we've just run out of time to talk about any more of the wonderful things. But we will talk a little bit about the French Film Festival. So that is starting on the 2nd of March, is it? On the 3rd of March. The 3rd of March. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bit preemptive. <laughs> Too excited. I'm trying to bring it forward. So it's on the 3rd of March. And where if one, people want to go to opening night, can they still get tickets? Uh, you need to rush, but you can get some... Quick. Be quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Jemma Bavari will be the uh, opening night team. We talked about it. 49 films. Uh, mm -hmm. It's recent films. Most of them are recent films, so that you can get the... Some of them have not been released yet in France, so they'll go to Australia wow. first. Which is great. Us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many, many uh, films. There is one film hidden about music. Mm -hmm. So go and see him. You can see the Daft Punk uh, featured in the film, and it's also about. Uh, uh, they are also involved. So it's all about EDM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it's. Uh, voilà. So great program. Yeah. And one of the things I spotted in the program was Beauty and the Beast, and I was wondering what that would be about, whether it be like a traditional children's film or a bit more of a grown up one. It's. Right in the middle, it's all... It's right in the middle, yes. Yeah, it seems <laughs> it's <a fant> so epic. <laughs> it's very epic. It's a fantasy film. It's a fantasy film, so it's, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. If you want to have a good fun, let's go and see it. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. Thank you, Ash. Good luck with the rest of the festival. Like you said, you're, it's like with being a plumber. <laughs> you won't know what's going to go wrong until it's all running until the water goes into the pipes <laughs> <laughs> alright delightful and this last song is Jeanne Moreau Jeanne Moreau yeah I yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please tell us why you wanted to bring this song on uh, it's a song that was made for the film Jules and Jim by François Truffaut and I love this song because it tells you m much about uh, I'd say Jeanne Moreau is uh, like a great actress she was uh, and uh, she this film is also was very important in for the French cinema and uh, François Truffaut one of the leading directors and also this song is about the to the tourbillon of life sorry for my French accent so tourbillon I think tourbillon. it's like turbine turbine like yes that's it turbine. spinning yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, I really like this song because um, Jeanne Moreau has a great voice first of all and you can s you can hear her uh, smoking and uh, also it's about life and if you are 94.5 <laughs> Elle avait des yeux, des yeux d'opale Qui me fascinaient, qui me fascinaient Il y avait le val de son visage pâle De femme fatale qui me fut fatale De femme fatale qui me fut fatale 
On s'est connu, on s'est reconnu, on s'est perdu de vue, on s'est reperdu de vue, on s'est retrouvé, on s'est réchauffé, puis on s'est séparé. Chacun pour soi est reparti dans le tourbillon de la vie. Je l'ai revu un soir, aïe aïe aïe, ça fait déjà un fameux bail, ça fait déjà un fameux bail. Au son des banjos, je l'ai reconnu, ce curieux sourire qui m'avait tant plu, sa voix si fatale, son beau visage pâle, mes murs plus que jamais. Je me suis saoulée en l'écoutant, l'alcool fait oublier le temps, je me suis réveillée en sentant des baisers sur mon front brûlant, des baisers sur mon front brûlant. On s'est connu, on s'est reconnu, on s'est perdu de vue, on s'est perdu de vue, on s'est retrouvé, on s'est séparé, puis on s'est réchauffé. Chacun pour soi est reparti dans le tourbillon de la vie. Je l'ai revu un soir à la la, elle est retombée dans mes bras, elle est retombée dans mes bras. Quand on s'est connu, quand on s'est reconnu, pourquoi se perdre de vue, se reperdre de vue Quand on s'est retrouvé, quand on s'est réchauffé, pourquoi se séparer Alors tous deux, on est reparti dans le tourbillon de la vie. On a continué à tourner, tous les deux enlacés, tous les deux enlacés, tous les deux enlacés.